got to see a little bit of that event a couple weeks ago on Sunday night, and it was great to see our kids. You can see a lot of smiles on their faces, and then they had a good worship time in here, and Mike had a, had a talk as well that I think was really good. So good to see those things going on as a part of the life of our, our youth and in the life of our church. You know, most of us have been in love sometime in life, and we've experienced that desire to get to know the other person. I mean, when we're truly in love, we can never get enough of that person. We can never find out enough about what they like and what they're interested in. We can't hear enough about what they want to do with their lives. We just want to pursue that relationship. And you know, I know our relationship with God is, is very different. It's not the same thing. And yet, I think a lot of us have this sense that, that we want to desire that relationship. We, we wish we had this passion to pursue a relationship with God like we might with someone we're in love with. And yet sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes it's a challenge to get to know God. We can sometimes go through dark times in our relationship with God, times when we struggle to get to know God. Mother Teresa, who many of us would say, wow, she's one of the great Christians of the 20th century, served really like no one else did, led in ways that we can't imagine, and yet after her death, her diaries, her journals, her letters began to come out, and we saw that she had a 50-year period of spiritual dryness, where she really could not find the presence of God like she desired, where it just wasn't real to her like she hoped it would be, like it had been in the past. And there's the sense of if she went through something like that, it shouldn't be too shocking that we sometimes go through that. We have obstacles. Bad things happen in life. We struggle through things with family and work, and sometimes that has a bearing on our relationship with God. Sometimes the obstacle is ourselves. We just say, hey, I'm too busy for that. I don't have time for this. You know, I'm a busy person. In our culture, we praise busyness, right? If you're busy, you must be important. You must have something to do. And if you're not, that says maybe you're not as valuable a person. And when we're that busy, sometimes we're too busy for God. So the question is, how do we pursue this relationship? You know, today we continue in this series, we're calling Love God and Love Others, but we get, begin a section of five weeks on the first half of that. The elders said, okay, what does it look like for a church to, to love God? And we listed five things, and the first one is today. And it really is an overarching theme that leads us into the other four that we'll talk about for the next four Sundays. A church that loves God deepens its relationship with Jesus. If we're a church made of people that love God, one of our desires will be to deepen our relationship with Jesus, to know Him better, to pursue Him, to be passionate about Christ. So what does that look like? Today I want us to think about that by turning to the third chapter of the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians is a great letter of Paul's. He talks about joy over and over. We talked about the first two chapters of Philippians in a series just a few months ago. But I want us to look at a few verses in chapter 3 because they point us to how we can know Jesus, how we can deepen our relationship with Jesus, as our vision statement says. So what we have is Paul sort of laying out at the beginning, this is who I am. And this is what I take pride in. This is what used to make me feel important. Number one, that I was a Jew. Number two, that I was from the tribe of Benjamin. Why was that special? 
We just finished this series on Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel, was from the tribe of Benjamin. That was their claim to fame. More than that, Saul, uh, uh, Paul was a great student of the law. Okay? And more than that, he was a Pharisee. Special class of people who were devoted to God's Word and obedient to God's Word. And even more than that, Paul was so zealous for the law that he began to persecute Christians. So Paul found this sense of righteousness, the sense that he was standing before God right and true because of all that he was and all that he had done. His heritage and his actions led him to this point of pride that he could stand before God with pride, with righteousness, because of everything he's done. And then he learned who Jesus was. He had this experience on the road to Damascus in which he was drastically changed because it was at that moment his relationship with Jesus was founded. And so he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, all the stuff that he had done, all the stuff that he found as his identity and his righteousness, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In this section, Paul uses banking language. Profit and loss. Okay? What used to be my profit, what used to be on the plus side for me, that made me special, that made me feel important, I now consider all that loss because of Jesus. Jesus changed everything. It changed his whole perspective on how he viewed his life and his accomplishments and righteousness before God. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Do you hear what he says there? To know Jesus. That's what changed his perspective. This desire to have a relationship with Christ changed how he saw everything that went before. All the things that he thought justified him he then considered garbage, literally rubbish. It was the word they used for all the stuff that's left over after a meal that you would feed to the dog or you would put in the garbage disposal. All these things that were so important, that gave him identity, that made him feel like he was right before God, all that suddenly he recognized was rubbish to be thrown away. Because he recognized that you don't do all that stuff to be right with God. What makes you right with God? Faith in Jesus. Jesus justifies us in God's sight. Jesus is the only one who could offer us the forgiveness that we need to be made right before God. Not what we do, not some achievement, but faith in Christ. And that translates over to us, doesn't it? I mean, there are things that we're really proud of in our lives. Achievements that we have on the job or in our families or maybe educationally or whatever it is. Something you've done in the community. And Paul says, you know, don't get too, don't get too hung up on that stuff. 
Because in the end, you know what that is? That stuff you put in the garbage can. It's faith in Jesus. It's our relationship with Christ that is really important. That changes our whole perspective. Then he goes on. Verse 10. And this is the hinge. Everything turns on here. I want to know Christ. Above all else, above all the achievements and above all the things he could even do as a Christian, I want to know Christ. You see, it's all about that relationship. It's all about being connected to Jesus. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. That sounds awesome. And the participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now at first that sounds great. I want to know Christ. And we say, yeah, I do too. I want to have that relationship with Jesus. I want to be passionate about pursuing Christ. I want that to be so present in my life. It's part of every day, every moment. And he says, I want to know the resurrection. And we say, that's great, you know, because we're looking forward to the day when we'll be raised from the dead and that we'll get to see people that we haven't seen in a long time because they're raised from the dead and we get to spend eternity praising God with all these people, Christians that we don't even know. It sounds awesome. And then he says, and to participate in the suffering of Christ. And even his death. And that doesn't sound so good. And yet Paul knew what that meant. Because as he wrote these words, he had been arrested and was imprisoned and was facing trial because of his faith in Jesus. And he knew that at the end of this trial, it could be release, and that's what he was hoping for, or it could be death. And he was ready for either. Because he recognized that in the midst of all that, he was participating with Jesus in his suffering. And he understood that, you know, God doesn't always promise to make us happy. That for all the decades we live, we're going to be happy. He promises that he will be present. And there will be times that our faith in Jesus brings us great joy. Paul talks about that all the way through Philippians. And there are also times that our Christian faith might cause us to pay a price. And Paul understood that as well. And that in both, we are experiencing Jesus. And in both, we can come to know Jesus better. Now Paul switches from sort of banking, profit and loss, accounting language in those verses. And then in verse 12, he changes over to athletic language, which you know I can identify with so much better because I'm such an athlete, or not. But anyway, some of you will get that. <clears throat> not that I have already obtained all this, or had already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Hear that? I press on. He's pushing forward. Maybe even when there's nothing left, he continues to push forward. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me eternal life. He's pressing on toward that. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward, sort of reaching in, leaning into the finish line, 
straining forward to what is, toward what is ahead. And I press on toward the goal to win the prize. At the end, they would be given a prize, a prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he's pushing forward to make sure he, he gets to this goal that God has laid out in front of him. And he says, forgetting what is behind. That's interesting. All those things that Paul said gave him, gave him pride, all those things that were achievements, all those things that he felt made him right with God, he says, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is what God has put in my present and my future and what I can do for God the rest of my life. And it might even be that Paul is saying those things that I have shame over, like arresting and persecuting Christians, even those things, forget those, they too are in the past. And he's straining forward to what God has in the future. And we need to hear that. Because all of those things that we think make us important and valuable and noticeable, Paul's saying forget that. But also those things that make you feel ashamed and broken, forget that. Because regardless of all that stuff, God is still calling you to press forward. And there are things that we can do. And there's a relationship that we can seek out because of Jesus. So what's the message for us as a church? Trying to think about what kind of church are we going to be in the future? And how can we be the kind of church that deepens its relationship with Jesus? Paul's message is pretty simple. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. Nothing. All the stuff that we think matters, garbage. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. So what does that say to us about how our lives and our life as a church should be formed? I think the first thing is it's, Jesus has got to be at the center. You know, we sort of develop a life where there's this work over here, and then there's home and family here, and then church is one more thing we put beside all of that stuff, and there may be recreation or education or different things, and they're all sort of separate, and Paul is saying, no, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. So, Jesus, in our relationship with Christ, I want to know Christ, Paul says, that's at the center of life, and who we are in Christ dictates the kind of person we are in school and the kind of person we are at work and the kind of person we are at home with our families or out in the community and volunteer work. All of that, the organizing force in the midst of all of that is our relationship with Christ. Because nothing compares to knowing Jesus. And so if we're seeking Jesus out and we're allowing him to be who he should be in our lives, Everything else will be an outgrowth of that. So, how do we get to know Jesus? How do we learn who this Jesus is? Well, I think there are several ways that we can see. First is, we've got to read his word. We've got to be active in listening to what God says and who God says he is and what he's done and how we can know him. And it's here. Sometimes that's not so easy, though, right? I mean, a lot of times we do that whole, you know, I'm too busy thing. 
We've got to get past that. And then there's this, you know, I want, okay, I'm going to read God's Word, and I'm going to start at the beginning, and we do, and we read Genesis, and you've got creation, and you've got the flood and the Tower of Babel, and that's all pretty amazing stories. You've got this long section about Abraham, and he does some crazy stuff, but yet he's faithful. And then Joseph, who too, really faithful to God. Exodus is a great story because we're hearing about the people of Israel escaping from Egypt. And then we get to Leviticus. And there's the mold laws. And the way you sacrifice all the animals and drain the blood and all that good stuff. And, and then we get to numbers. And there's a whole lot of numbers in numbers. And it slows way down. And you go to Deuteronomy and it's sort of a repeat of everything you had in Leviticus and numbers. And maybe we sort of let it drop by the side. So the question is, is there another way to approach this? And I think there's not just another way. There are a lot of ways to approach this. And I think there are some tools that we have available to us that are really helpful. One, a lot of you have heard of, I mentioned it on our Facebook page this week, uversion.com. That sounds like another version of the Bible. It's not. It's just a great tool to access all kinds of translations of the Bible. I think, let's see, 800, no, 982 translations of the Bible are available there in 579 languages. So there's all these English translations, but there's people reading the Bible on this website through the app that's available for your phone or your iPad or tablet, whatever. There are people reading the Bible all over the world, and you can become part of that community. Now what's interesting is 57 million downloads of this app, 18 million reading plans completed. And that's what I want to focus on for a minute. There's all kinds of reading plans available there. And they aren't just necessarily beginning to end, but there's ways of sort of intermingling Old Testament and New Testament that sort of keeps our focus, keeps us connected to reading God's Word. So that's a tool that's available, and I want to show you a short video just so you can get a feel of what we're talking about. This is the Bible. It's more than something you read, although you can do that too. But now, it can also read to you, show you timeless stories in a whole new way, or even help you share what you've learned with someone you know. Read, listen, watch, share. Now you can do all of that and more, because now the Bible is an app. Download it for free at bible.com app. Okay, is that the only good tool that's out there? No. There's several good websites that are available. What I want you to see is this is one that you can use, and I want to encourage you to find something to use. Now, there might be some people in the room that don't use one of those newfangled cellular devices, right? And that's okay. There might even be some people in the room who, when they sit down and read the Bible and spend time with God, really like to have an actual... Bible in their hands. That's okay too. So I've got another reading plan that's available and it's on the table in the foyer and it takes you through the Bible in a different way. It's not just beginning to end but there's, you start in different places on different days of the week and so if you're in Leviticus you're not reading Leviticus all week. You're just reading it one day of the week. So let me encourage you to take one of these if you really like to have your printed Bible or if you don't use the computer and tablets and all that but but there's ways to get in God's Word, and that's really the key here, right? It's not necessarily how you do it, but that you do open the Word and read it. But that's not the only thing. 
we also have to think about prayer. If we're going to get to know God, we listen in many ways through God's Word, but we talk to God in prayer. And so prayer opens up the opportunity for us to tell God what's going on that we're excited about and that we want to thank Him for. And it also gives us the opportunity to take our needs and our struggles and our pain to God as well. Now we're going to spend a whole week talking about prayer a little later in the series, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because we're going to really focus in on that later on. But these two are sort of the ones that we go to most often, right? Read God's Word and pray. But that's not the only things that we see available to us. In Scripture, one of the things that people do when they're trying to make a decision or maybe when they recognize they've done something wrong or they need God's presence in a new way is to fast. It's biblical, and yet we don't go there very often. And fasting can take different forms. We usually think of food. You can maybe fast from one meal. You don't have to fast for a week. It might be a meal or part of a day or maybe a whole day. It might be from something that, you know, you normally consume and you stop for a while. But the point is not to, you know, go on a diet. The point is to take you closer to God. So when you feel hunger pains, you pray. You read. You take this to God. You repent. You ask for God's guidance. When you could be spending time eating a meal, again, you pray. You read. You, take, you ask for God's guidance. You repent. All those things that we're talking about. And this can be a really healthy way for us to seek God out, maybe in a way that we're not accustomed to. And the thing is, it is very biblical. We see it at work throughout Scripture. And one for me that's been important, and I think if you look in Christian history, has a a long history of being helpful for Christians, is journaling. Now, we don't see a command in Scripture that we should journal because a lot of people wouldn't have had writing utensils and something to write on readily available. But what we do see is people like Paul and people like John replying or, or responding and explaining God's Word through writing. It's important to me because I always read from Scripture and then spend a few minutes sort of, how does that affect me? What do I do with this? And when I write it down, it forces me to really think through how I'm reacting. It's easy to just sort of do that in my head a little bit, but my thoughts tend to wander. If I'm writing, I'm focused, and I have to process it more carefully. That's one more way. Our, uh, our vision team that talked about this one line, and we had a team for each one, we talked about some ways that we could do this. One of the things that that team suggested is, could we have some devotional books available? And so we've got a few of those in the back as well on the table while they last. Let me encourage you to take one. It's just a daily devotional. We'll take some other things that those, that group talked about as well, maybe putting some scripture reading in the bulletin so you know what's coming up and some things that will help more scripture in our worship service, which we've begun to do as well. So we want to include some of those things from that team. That team did a whole lot of work, and they were really focused in on how do we allow God's Word to speak into our lives. Now, just imagine with me for a minute, though. How would your relationship with God change if you really pursued Him? You know, it's easy for us to say, I, I want to follow Jesus, and we put our faith in Christ, and then we just sort of coast along and hope things work out pretty good, and, and when we get in trouble, yeah, we'll talk to God a little bit, but, but that's not what we're talking about. Paul says, I want to know Christ. What would your relationship with Jesus look like if you took that to heart? 
and really sought him out in his word and prayer. How do you think that would affect your life? How do you think that would affect the way you conduct yourself at school or work or with your family or maybe even in church? Because you knew Christ in a way that you don't know him today. Don't let that slip away. Because nothing compares with knowing Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you're at work in our lives. We're thankful you're present. We're thankful that through your word and prayer we can communicate with you and to know you. God, give us a passion for pursuing you and developing a relationship with you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today you want to make that initial commitment to Christ, put your faith in him. You're ready to commit to him and, and to begin knowing him in a deeper way. We'd love to see you baptized into Christ. Or maybe you've already done that. You're a baptized believer and you want to be a member of this church to serve alongside this group of people. If you've made that decision, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.